Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host, as usual, is Robbie Dowling. We are excited for this week. We have a, a pretty big game against the ECU Pirates. Robbie knows my hate for them. You have a lot of hate for the ECU Pirates. I do, I do not like the Pirates at all, and I really want to wipe the floor with them this week. So I'm excited about this preview, and I'm excited about this shot. It's been a long day. Um, we're getting to the preview early this week, so I'm excited about that. But nevertheless, Monday and Tuesday have not been kind to me, and I definitely need a drink. We were, we were a day late last week, so I'm glad we're doing it on time this week. Let's get into the toast. This week, I think the toast is to first-time starters uh, this season. Sean Huselkamp, Woody Barron, Adonis Alexander, all three played played very well. Either were front and center or didn't make the mistakes that we were a little bit concerned about. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later on. Overall, I thought they all had a great performance and definitely worth a shot. First time on the big stage starting, and uh, congrats to those guys. Cheers. Ooh, all right. Still burns every time. Every single time. So we've got a few uh, news items for you this week, and one that actually just came out today. It's kind of big that they're saying Michael Brewer could potentially be back by the NC State game, which is just on October 9th. And if I recall, he had surgery on September 9th. So that would literally be like the minimum four weeks back. Are you buying that? No, I'm not buying it. I love the moxie, and I know that word's been used with him a lot. I love that he's a grinder. Sam Rogers came out and said that if there was anybody tough that could make it back onto the field in a short amount of time, it would be him. I don't think he'll be back in for a couple different reasons. Motley is obviously playing pretty well. We'll get to that. So we don't need him as badly as soon. We can't risk another injury to him. Also, because it's really a short time timeline for him to yeah, come back. I don't know how you, your bone can heal in four weeks. But, hey, you know if anyone's going to push it to come back, it'd be him. He loves to play. Uh, he, Whenever he got hurt last year, it always seemed like he was coming back in as soon as he could. So it's not I love that the it, news. Yeah. I mean, the news is great. And, you know, Motley could go down at any moment, too. So if he's ready to play for NC State and – that would be awesome because at any given moment, Motley could be knocked out of the game, especially if he takes a couple of hits like he took last week. Um, some other just smaller things. Uh, Chris Durkin, our third-string quarterback, has been – I should say third-string now, but he would be fourth with Brewer. Uh, is working at tight end NH back, uh, which is kind of an interesting thing. I feel like we do have some solid tight ends, but that guy definitely has some athletic ability, so you can get him on the field in another way. I like it. Uh McLaughlin won the fool's hammer for the best offensive lineman this week. He graded out at 90% in pass protection, uh, which is awesome. I have a, I have an interesting aside. We'll get to later on the offensive line about him with one of the plays, the key plays in the Purdue game where McLaughlin came up and, and I thought when I saw the announcement that he won the fool's hammer, I was like, that can't be. And there's a reason for that. And it's something that we've touched on before. Also, you notice that we had a couple nice returns in the game. We're going to talk about that. Apparently, Donovan Riley and Kendall Fuller were pushing Shane to get Green, uh, Derwan Green, to return kicks because they said he was the best returner we had and in practice, and that turned out to work out pretty well. So it's kind of cool those guys are pushing for their fellow defensive back. 
There were no injuries, at least none major, that we heard of after the game, so that's always good news. And the last just small note is that we're going to be wearing those, at least it seems, the metallic orange helmets again for ECU, I assume with some white uniforms, which would look pretty cool. Uh, And that'll do it for the news and notes. And I think we're going to jump into our Purdue recap now. Let's get into it. So I liked about 85% of what I saw on Saturday. I'm going 90 yeah, we controlled that game um, pretty much from start to finish, even though we were behind for a good portion of the first half for a little while there. But we really did just dominate the game. Uh, Motley was sharp again. That's one thing that really stood out to me. He was 15 for 23, and now in two starts, he's completing 66% of his passes. And on the season, he has seven total touchdowns. That's unbelievable production from a backup that we weren't even sure could throw a pass, and now he's completing 66% of his passes. I know it's a small sample size, but I'm still impressed. I don't know if it's that small. that He came in out of nowhere, and he's he's developed a really good rapport, it seems like, on the field, route running with some of our key wide receivers, even our tight ends, Malik, uh, you know, Isaiah. I think it's been pretty impressive for somebody coming in uh, cold uh, on the second game of the year. Another thing I noticed was that all of our running backs look solid. And you know that I would like to pare down the running back rotation just like everyone else kind of clamors for. But I think Loeffler did a nice job of putting running backs in in certain situations. And they all had nice averages. I still think McMillan looks the best on the year. He's got an 8.6 yard per carry average. And even if you took out his long run against Furman, he would be at 5.8 yards per carry. So he's very, very solid. I think he's faster. I think he has better vision. I think all around he he's doing a really nice job. Uh, they had him on the jet sweeps this year. There this game, I thought he did a, a really nice job with it. Gained some yards. He's impressive. I think he is going to be a stellar, stellar running back for us. One thing I also noticed was that if you were to take out Motley's attempts rushing, which some of those were sacks, we had a couple botched snaps and things like that. If you take out the quarterbacks, our ball carriers average 5.78 yards per carry, which is just a ridiculous number. We were really able to control the line of scrimmage uh, from the offensive standpoint, and we ran for 238 yards, which is awesome. We haven't done that in quite a while, so that was sweet. Uh, Big day for Isaiah Ford, six catches for 128. Seemed like it could have been even more. And he is on pace for that golden number of 1,000 yards on the season. We did talk about that right before we kicked off. This is a jinx, so we're not going to go too far into this. But how about that pass from Motley off of uh, off of the right side, onto the right half, 60-yard pass into the air, on the run, one foot. I was scared when that thing was in the air. It was awesome. And you know what? It was basically going to be a punt, even if it had gotten picked off. But Ford was so wide open. He's like backpedaling, catching it like it's a punt. Um, and if it had just been a little farther, we would have gotten into the end zone on that one. But nevertheless, Motley scrambling, firing it. You know, that's a throw Michael Brewer really can't make. He doesn't have the arm strength for a play like that. So it was awesome to see Motley kind of make something out of nothing, and then make it into a big something with a 60-yard pass. Uh, Another thing from the receiving game, Bucky with two touchdowns. I thought that was awesome. He clearly is our, like, number one red zone threat. Not that we didn't know that, but he did. Motley threw him a really nice ball in the back corner of the end zone, and he had another touchdown later. And the offense just in general looked really good. 
Um, I agree. The O-line uh, also looked very, very solid across, uh, I think, almost the entire game. One breakdown that we all know what happened there. Uh, it ended up being, I referred to this earlier, We thought I thought it was Jonathan McLaughlin that was in on the game at, at left ta- or left tackle it was actually uh Nijman that was yeah. in yeah, he they was. had been he was in for that series when he completely there was there was evidently a lineup problem that happened there but he completely missed that block that ended up in the 98 yard fumble return for a touchdown yeah that there was a miscommunication on that play and, and it definitely cost us and we ended up going down in the game and you're like that was a 14 point swing right there because for sure we thought we were getting in the end zone um on the other side of the ball, however, the D was also dominant. I thought Kendall looked pretty good. Robbie maybe had some mixed feelings on it, but I thought he looked the best he's looked so far this year, season, and that made me feel good. He had that awesome uh, sack fumble, which Chuck Clark took to the house, uh, which helped us early. Uh, we noted that Adonis started and looked really impressive. He had seven total tackles and an interception, his second interception on the year. And this one was pretty cool the way he tracked it down and really made a nice effort to catch the ball. That was the long distance that he had to carry to or to run over to get that ball, and I thought that was amazing. Was and really Woody Marshall also – oh, sorry. Woody Barron started over Marshall, and I think that might have been because Marshall's a little banged up. But either way, we said last week how they're all – they're right there in terms – Marshall and Woody Barron do the same types of things. They're very quick on the lighter side defensive tackles. So they're kind of interchangeable, and Woody had a sack. Um, I also thought Luther Matty looked pretty good. I uh, thought he – his stats still don't show it. This is also happening a little bit with Daddy as well, given how close he is getting in for those sacks. Luther blew up the center in this game, and it's not going to show in the stat line, but he was really important to the overall pressure that happened on Appleby in this game, and I thought that was important to note. I agree, and that's the thing that I – said before the season started is that our defensive line works the best when Luther Maddie is firing on all cylinders. And in this game he was, and it, you're right. It's not going to always show up, but his disruption leads to other things. It leads to the hurries and the pressures that we get on the quarterback. Daddy, when I went through the game, I thought he should have had three sacks. Yeah. All three he missed one. He took a bad angle on. I feel like that's happening a lot. Yeah. And he, he whipped on a Cardell Jones sack and, and like, or had him in his hands and it came, came out. I think it really comes down to like offenses, are, offenses are planning for him. They, yeah. they know, and that's not an excuse for him of why he's no. not getting if it. If you've got a quarterback in your arms, take him to the ground and he will more often than not. He's just had a little bit of bad luck with guys slipping, slipping out of his, uh, out of his tackles in these first few games. But He'll definitely be there with a good amount of sacks at the end of the season. He's getting he's he's right there. It's not like he's not in a good position, but you gotta capitalize. And it was evident that our D line definitely had a good game and that their QB was nine for twenty eight with two interceptions. I mean, Appleby looked lost for most of the game. Um, Except for the one run in for a touchdown, which ended up being Fry was in for that play. And if you, you watched it, Fry was in for that play, not Adonis. Right. And I think if Alexander was in for that play, that would have got shut down, that walk-in for a touchdown right in the, the red zone, which was – it goes to just show you, I, I think Adonis Alexander is going to be a real contributor, not even down the road this year, I think. Yeah, gonna we're going to need him badly uh, as ACC gets you know going in, in the next few weeks. 
He's our starting rover now. I don't think Desmond Fry's getting the job back, and that's fine because Fry's a solid player and can spell him at times. And if uh, if we need him, he'll be there. But Adonis is just so good back there. It's awesome that he was here for spring to get acquainted with the, the the DBs and everything else, and he looks ready to contribute, like you said, right now. Uh, as far as the defensive line, just to nip it in the bud, the last thing I wanted to say is against the run, we looked good this game, and that's the first game we've really just shown up against the run, didn't let them get outside, didn't let them get inside. They, no, they couldn't do anything. If you took away that long TD they kind of had against our backups at the end, which was 60 yards, they only had 84 yards rushing, and that would be an average of three yards per carry on those carries. I think I had three kind of final thoughts as we wrap up. I think this game, jump in with yours as well. One, Motley is giving us something in the offense that I love Brewer. I don't know if it exists. That bobbled kind of uh, snap, and then he runs that in for a touchdown was very, very impressive from a running standpoint and keeping his head about him and scrambling and getting that touchdown too, just for fun. That that reverse, Rodgers, yeah, back yeah. to Motley. I thought that was just fun, if nothing else. Rodgers can do it all. we've seen that a couple times. We saw it in the UVA game two years ago with Logan. They tried it. We saw they tried it in the Ohio State game last year, and Rodgers just ended up keeping it and running for a while. But, yeah, it was definitely cool to see. And Motley is so athletic. When he does get it back, you don't know what he could end up doing on a play like that. It's You're right. I, it's nice to see him have the wherewithal to like make something out of nothing on those couple of plays we talked about. Although I think Brewer does uh, uh, have that quality. Motley brings a little bit more athleticism to that. And special teams, I think we should yeah, give a Yeah, that's definitely out. the last thing I wanted to talk about is that is Beamer Ball – Gonna make a big comeback this year. Don't time. go that far. Wait, Come is that on. like a curse word these yeah. days, Beamer Ball? Don't say that. But the block punt was awesome. We should have been three block punts. We almost had a couple more, yeah. I don't know how those first two, one I think for, happened in the first quarter, the other one was in the second or the third quarter. His hands, Edmund's hands were right over the ball on all three. He got the last one, which was amazing. But I don't know how he had more. didn't have more than that. And Derwan Green, as we mentioned earlier, had. One really good return, which I'm still not sure why he couldn't outrun that last white dude. For the I was touchdown. going to ask you that. Is that a little bit concerning? It I've was. never seen somebody that wide open that just got chased down and wide open. And maybe field. that guy on on Purdue is really fast. Uh, but regardless, if Green's making the right reads from a vision standpoint, I'm cool with it. Because if he gets us down to the 20 every time, that's going to help us out a lot. Uh, he also had a couple of other nice ones. And is when we talk about Beamer Ball, does defensive touchdowns count as Beamer Ball? I've always been a little unsure. Is it only special teams? Because we had the scoop and score too. So in all aspects of the game, we played great. I think it's also – it's turned into also defensive touchdowns as well. Yeah, I think I th- they count. Absolutely. So two Beamer Ball touchdowns in this game, we'll take it. We're changing I, everything up. We're, <laughs> we're making our own stats here on That's Beamer right. Ball. That's right. Um, there was a couple bad things that we needed to talk about. Way too many penalties. Way too many. 11 penalties again. We had 11 penalties in the Furman game. And in this game, there were five pre-snap penalties. This is something that plagued us last year. Like, it killed us in some games, especially the pit game last year. I think it killed us uh, with these illegal substitution or false starts or whatever it may be. The pre-snap penalties need to go. 
Um, Absolutely. I'm willing to throw out the, you know, the personal foul. The one on Wyatt Teller was a joke. That was a joke. The face mask and daddy, I actually watched that three times. I don't have, you know, I don't have coach's angle from, you know, the center of the field. I didn't see it, but whatever. We'll give it to him. The rest of the pre-snap penalties were just, we got to clean that up. Shane Beamer came out, said, we're not proud of it, meaning he's really pissed off about it. And hopefully we'll clean that up this this yeah, week. Yeah, I hope so. I think I think they can. The guys are much more experienced this year than they were last year because it was a broken record last year. It's like penalties, 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 and we can never fix it. I think we will and can fix it this year. We only had two sacks in this game. I was hoping for a few more, although we did know that Purdue had a good offensive line, and we had no additional tackle for loss. And we are now 109th in the nation in tackles for loss with only 13 on the year. That is not right. The last two years we've been top 15, top 10s in, in tackles for loss. So we, like we said earlier, we're getting there. But when you have guys in your arms, bring them down because we need, we need some to bring guys down behind the line of scrimmage more often than we're doing right now. We're also going to have to take a bit of a chill pill on some of the defensive snaps or defensive stats Fact is, people have been game planning for Virginia Tech defense since they saw every recognition that can go to a defense or a defensive player came upon Virginia Tech. We talked about this in our original season preview. People are planning for us. If you watch Appleby in that game, he is literally not taking more than one second to get the ball off because he knows he's going to have somebody in his face. And he was harassed. All day long. There was a few series. He couldn't even do anything. He was just throwing the ball, whether he had somewhere to go to or not. So it's it's not going to be a stat-driven year for us. Not Because on defense, people are planning around it yeah. for, for weeks ahead. So, you know, call it what it is. Another thing that uh, I didn't like is that Purdue had 10 tackles for loss, which I was actually shocked to see that. But... If you look back, half were on J.C. Coleman going up the middle on there was inside a, zone. There was a few of those. There was also a few bad snap situations that happened with Motley and Gallo. Um, Whoops! Mot- did, I, did I just throw out my love for McMillan because <laughs> they only had <laughs> J.C. Yeah, we were. I was at the bar. First down, we'll throw it out. I was sitting there, and J.C. on some of the inside zones. He just doesn't have the power to not to be running those. He's much better like getting to the outside and with some of those stretch plays, but it's frustrating a little bit. Purdue only had two sacks, but they did have those 10 tackle for loss. But before in our last week's preview, we did mention that Purdue was good at getting people behind the line of scrimmage. And now after this game, they're third in the nation in tackles for loss. They were already sixth and now they're third. They have 32 TFL on the year. They get after the quarterback. They'll get in your backfield. So, you know, Maybe I don't feel that bad about it, but we, we should have been better about it. We still dominated the game, but it's interesting that they were still able to get that many tackles behind our line of scrimmage. And my last thing is we just let them stay in it too long. We should have put our foot on their throat and crushed them way earlier in that game. And the penalties and the sack fumble kept them in it. And that's fine because ultimately we, we dominated and were able to get some late scores and make the score look really good. But don't let bad teams hang around. Put them away. Uh, you do that in ACC play to, uh, against some of the lesser teams, it'll come back to bite you. But that was about all the bad things I had. It was mostly good. We're putting up stats on offense. Where I liked one of the stats is roughly equal in passing yards and rushing yards. We have a balance. Yeah, 
Virginia nice. Tech has a balance. We're also and a good balance. I love I love that. And then we're also high up there in time of possession. And we have the thirtieth ranked scoring offense in the country. Efficiency. It's amazing. We, I mean one of those games is Furman, but one of those games is also against the number one team in the country. So I think it all it all evens itself out. We have an offense that has come to play this year and it's it's exciting. Robbie, I'm very curious as to what you're drinking. We're on beer break? It's beer break time. Let's do it. I, right now, am drinking the Ballast Point Sculpin IPA. I know they have a lot of beers that they make out there in San Diego. We already touched on the Stone at Brewing Company. This is one of my favorites. I know it's another IPA, but we got some other stuff coming on the horizon today. We we had a concept that we put in place today given that we're playing ECU, the Pirates, this week. It's all going to be around uh, pirate ships, the water, the ocean. Oh, is that what's happening? Yes. So all of the beers are going to be touching upon things that surround either the ocean or being a pirate or Army Métis. For Ballast Point, Sculpin, everybody knows it. San Diego beer, a lot of people love it. I enjoy it. It's a really good beer. One of the things I was going to throw out there... I was looking up today was on their logo. A lot of people don't know, and they have it on their their website. Is the the sextant is a on their logo a navigational device? And most people don't know what that is. It's to look at a star's angle and figure out where a boat is in the middle of the ocean, and that's what people use to figure out their navigation. So a nautical tool. We're doing a nautical theme here for the pirates. And as you think, uh, I think we're going to end up hoping that they lose pretty bad. I I certainly hope so. And we're going to give you a little bit of background on ECU before we jump into the game stuff. Their coach is Ruffin McNeil. He was a defensive coordinator at Texas Tech under Mike Leach. The air raid system kind of rubbed off on him. So the last few seasons, he's had a guy named Lincoln Riley running his offense Fortunately for us, Lincoln Riley has moved on to Oklahoma, and they're replacing a lot. They lost Shane Carden, their quarterback, record-setting quarterback. Hardy, their wide receiver, is the all-time FBS receptions leader, which I found hard to believe, but it is true. Uh, they lost another receiver named Worthy, who was their like basically their second best they've ever had. And fortunately, I don't know if you guys remember that fat man in the middle of their defense, uh, Terry Williams, their nose tackle. He is also gone. So this is a bit of a rebuilding ECU team. It's a pass-first offense. They passed all year, and that'll be a common theme with what we're about to get into on the previews. And despite the fact that they're rebuilding, they're still dangerous. Even though in the preseason they lost their presumed starting quarterback, uh, Kurt Ben Kirk, Ben Kurt, uh, he had a knee injury in the preseason. He's done for the year. Then they had another backup QB, Cody Keith, transfer. And so Blake Kemp is now their starting QB. And he competed like pretty closely with uh, Ben Kurt in the spring and in preseason. But Ben Kurt did win, and then he got hurt. So they're basically on their backup quarterback like we are going into this game. And despite that, they're still dangerous. And one final guy they lost is Breon Allen, their rusher. You might remember from last year's game, their top rusher. He is also gone. So like we said, they're rebuilding, but they definitely 
can do some things on the offensive side of the football, and I think that's what we're going to start with. What do you think about their QB? I think he is all right. This is a pass-first offense, ridiculously pass-first offense, as you probably would agree. Against Florida, which is probably the more relevant of the last two games that they played, they just played Florida. They they lost in a close game, 24-31. They played Navy last week, 45-21. Navy just stompled all over them. I think Kemp is good. He had 333 yards, three TDs, and only one interception against a really good secondary in Florida. You got Vernon Hargraves, who most think is one of the top DBs in the country this year. And he comes putting, up higher than Kendall basically on every draft board. It's it's Hargraves one, Kendall two, and it's been like that since they were being recruited. Absolutely. So I take I take less uh, or I think about less the 325 yards that he put up again three TDs only one interception against Navy I come back to the Florida game again I think he's a good quarterback his wide receiving core his tight ends I think are select I think it's a little bit of what we've gone through in our offensive production this year I think that he has a wide receiver Isaiah Jones. We have a wide receiver named <laughs> Isaiah Ford. Isaiah Jones, I think he's had a lot of big catches against uh, you know Florida. And I know I keep bringing that up, but I think it's the most comparative to the game that we have lined up in our defense. 14 receptions for 135 yards and a TD against Navy. He put up another three T or sorry, he put up another, uh, what was that, 130 yards. So, he is producing pretty well. I'm also a little bit afraid of Bryce Williams. This is their tight end. Interestingly, yeah, I'm again, very afraid of Bryce Williams. Yeah, yeah, and sorry for the comparisons, but this is Bucky Hodges. This guy's six six. He is 258 pounds. He is a matchup nightmare. He has made some amazing catches in the game against Florida. He put up 83 yards. Obviously, falling a little bit behind uh, Isaiah. And then he put up good yards against Navy. I think they have two really solid wide receiving options. Obviously, that's a tight end, but good wide receiving options. And I don't know. What else do you think is going to be out there? I I agree on the Isaiah Jones. I mean, he has 340 yards already on the season. That's unbelievable. Bryce Williams has three touchdowns and had nine catches in that Florida game. So those guys are guys I'm definitely scared about. ECU also returns a pretty solid O-line. They have six guys with at least 10 starts coming into the year. Uh, so they've got a little bit of not only starting experience, but a little bit of depth at the O-line. And uh, overall, I think they have a bunch of pal- talented pass catchers. Uh, they have Jimmy Williams, another uh, wide receiver, and Grayson, who's a deep threat. And as Robbie was saying, Kemp is solid. He's 68% of his passes. Uh, against Florida and Navy, 330 yards a game, uh, and only has two picks in all those attempts. So their offense, from a passing standpoint, scares me. On the other hand, they can't run the football. At all. Not at all. (laughs) Hairston, there's their top running back. He's averaging 4.6 yards a carry, has four TDs, and 207 yards on the season. That sounds pretty good, except for the fact that 150 of those yards and – all four touchdowns came against Towson. Uh, against Florida, 
ECU ran for negative 13 yards in the game as a team. He had 17 carries for 15 yards. That is a real statistic that happened. It's it's not good from the running perspective with regard to ECU. One thing that Hairston has had is 16 catches, so it's kind of, which is third on the team, which is a lot of dump offs, and they really like that short passing game. And Robbie noted something about their yards per pass. I can't remember exactly what you said. It's right about six yards per pass, which if you look at Virginia Tech, most teams you're looking at about eight to ten yards per pass that would be on, solid. on average. That would be solid. Six yards per pass. It's usually in the shorter passing game and a lot of dump-offs to the running back, Harrison. So that impacts the numbers, obviously, as well. Yeah, so through the last two games against Navy and Florida, they combined for 67 rushing yards. Um, they're 82nd in total offense in the country through the three games at 388 yards per game. And they had their highest yardage total against Towson. This isn't the strongest ECU offense by a long shot. They can't run, which tends to play into our strength. Um, but they do have a dangerous wide receiver in Jones. He is definitely going to get open and definitely going to make some big plays in this game. Hopefully Fuller's up to the task and, Maybe we'll do some double teaming. And in the red zone, Jimmy Williams could be a real threat. I'm not exactly sure who we'd put on him. Again, maybe it would be a double team situation. Maybe RVD uh, from a size perspective could take care of him a little bit. I don't really know, but those two guys scare me. Otherwise, this offense is by no means what we faced last year. And we're going to get into this a little bit later when we get to their defense. Their offense in the red zone is at 67%. They're 8 of 12. That's not very good. So I think that ties into a lot of what we've been talking about and will tie in later about how people have been playing them. One thing we've shown a penchant for the last couple seasons is giving up the big play. And that's the only thing that I worry about with this game is us giving up a few too many big plays to their wideouts. I think we'll get Harrison in space, even if they're dumping it off to him. But that's the thing that concerns me. And if we can eliminate the big plays, I think they won't stand a chance from an offense versus our defense perspective, especially with what we saw from our defense the last two games. I know it's coming back to a common theme, but let's squeeze the field. Let's not make it feel wide. Let's make it feel really narrow. Because they want to spread you out. And if we can prevent that, we'll be in good shape. All right, Pete. Well, now I'm wondering, we're on beer break once again. What are you up to over there? What are you drinking? I'm drinking the Heavy Seas Peg Leg Imperial Stout. Heavy Seas is a Baltimore beer. I've had a number of times visiting up there. Now you can find it pretty much anywhere in the D.C. area. The Peg Leg is a good, it's a good stout. Um, It'll definitely get you drunk, 8% alcohol. Um, And I don't really have a lot of adjectives when I talk about beer. I've noticed this listening back to some of the podcasts, I say it's malty or smooth or easy drinking, whatever. This I one, use whether it tastes good or it tastes <laughs> yeah, bad a this, lot of times. This tastes good. Like, <laughs> this is a good stout. I really do like it. Um, it's not too bitter or too heavy. Some stouts you are drinking and you're like, I don't want this right now. This is really good. 
I would highly recommend it. And Heavy Seas makes a lot of good beers. I'm enjoying this. They do. We got a restaurant right here in Arlington. Uh, the Heavy Seas Brewery actually has a restaurant. The food is amazing. Uh, what's the common theme with the peg? Le- oh, wait. Uh, it's your favorite team. It is. It's those ECU Pirates. And I want to talk about their defense, which isn't their strong suit. But they've got a few playmakers back there. So ECU runs a 3-4, which is generally better against the run. And coming into this season, that's what they were expecting. Against Navy, however, they gave up 416 yards rushing. Just so a couple. I'm, I'm curious, Robbie, who are you seeing on the defensive side of the ball from ECU that's making plays? I had a couple that stood out. Probably most that have listened to this this game or gotten ready for this game would say they would stand out. Zeke Bigger, this is a linebacker. He's not huge. He's 6'2", about 220 pounds, but 13 solo, solo tackles on the year, 15 assists. He's got a couple quarterback hurries. He seems like a guy that can get some penetrations a little faster off the edge. Jordan Williams, I think, is a little bit more concerning. Six foot, uh 230 pounds, a, a decent-sized linebacker, has a couple sacks already this season. There's not a lot that uh, they've lined up for ECU. I think it's four on the year or something along those lines. He's got a couple of them already, 14 tackles, seven assists and tackles. Those are the two. The linebacker core, I think, is pretty decent. That's two right there off the bat yeah, that I Yeah, I noticed. noticed that their top four tacklers were all linebackers. So that's definitely their most productive position. Uh, They do have a pretty good playmaking CB in Josh Hawkins. He had five interceptions last year, already has one this year. And they've got a pretty good mix of experience and also young upside at the DB positions. That's, I would say linebackers, their number one, DBs are their number two. And then their weakest position, I would say, is their D-line. They've also only had 13 tackles for loss this year, which equals our amount. However, we were explaining how we've been close on probably another half dozen in the backfield. I'm not sure if that's what ECU is working with, but they only have 13 tackles for loss and four sacks on the year. And Jonathan White is their only defensive lineman with a sack. So that's definitely a weakness and definitely something we should focus on in terms of attacking I'm not sure if that will come in the form of QB running or inside zone or whatever, but we'll talk about that in a minute. They're 96th overall in total defense, 415 yards. Playing Navy might do that yeah. to you, I think. Well, playing Navy, but they also played Towson, and they played a Florida team who know we haven't hasn't had a strong offense in a few years now. So against Towson, for example, they gave up 179 yards on the ground and 416 yards overall. That's that's not good, especially against a team like us who had 580 against an FCS team and just threw up 470 on another Power 5 team. So this is definitely an area where the Hokies should have an advantage. It depends on what Leffler wants to do because I think he could do a number of things against this defense. I was going to bring up, we talked about this earlier. I like closing the loop. We talked about red zone offense, red zone defense, how they were 8 for 12 in the red zone. Opponents are 13 for 16, 81% in the red zone against ECU. Navy went 7 for 7 in the red zone. Wow. 
that is not good at all. We all understand how, how potent that triple option can be, especially when you're in short yardage, but that's a lot. Yeah. I guess we don't have a lot to say on this defense because, quite frankly, it's not that good. I do think it might might be on par with Purdue's defense, maybe a little bit better, but it's hard to say because Purdue was getting after the quarterback from their line, and ECU kind of likes to play more from the linebackers. So they're probably pretty close in terms of how good they are. ECU might be a little bit better. Line to line, I think the linebackers for Purdue were a little bit better, but they're comparable. The line was better for Purdue? I think so. Okay. I think the cornerbacks were undersized for for Purdue. I think where the real difference is probably going to be, and we've alluded to this, is on the defensive line. I think the defensive line actually was probably better for Purdue because definitely this is not they, they good got after at all us. for ECU. No, their their defensive line is weak, and I guess I'll just summarize my thoughts in terms of our offense versus their defense. Their linebackers are good. Their D line is weak, as we just said. Based on what Navy did, there might be some chances for Motley to make some big gains on the ground. And maybe we'll see Loeffler kind of scheme towards that, maybe put him in some more designed QB runs. Uh, I expect Ford and Bucky to get free, uh, Malik as well, to make a handful of impact plays. Motley's going to have time because that D-line does not get after the quarterback. He'll have time to make his reads and get it to Ford, Bucky, Malik, Cam Phillips, whoever. I think over... Over the course of the game, we'll be able to wear their line down. And if Motley is running, having their linebackers chase them all over the place will also tire them out. I'm looking for somewhere in the low 400s in terms of overall offense, in terms of yards, and hopefully 200 rushing. That's what I think we're capable of. What do you think? That's that's pretty specific. I know I it's specific. Get... I know it's specific. <laughs> you thought this through. Here's where I would go on our offense I think our offense is a great matchup against their defensive line. So we'll put that out there. I don't see any threats on in their cornerbacks that are really going to cause me a lot of concern about Isaiah doing what he's been doing so well, Cam doing what he's done very, very well, Bucky, the whole group uh, being able to get out and and find some room and catch passes. The linebacking core, I think, is solid for them. That might cause us a little bit of problem on the running game, depending on how who we have in and what we're doing, and whether it's inside zone or whether we're running jet sweeps again with McMillan or the rest of the uh, running back core. So on offense, I think we're going to be very successful as long as we stick to the passing game and We'll see what happens on the running game. I don't I don't have a ton of confidence on inside runs. I think of a little bit more with McMillan on the outside, probably. Yeah, I was kind of wondering that. Like I had written down like maybe we could expose them on the inside, but they do play with three hundred and fourteen pound nose tackle. So I'm not sure running at him is a great idea. Although Trey had some success last week. It's a different scheme, so it's hard to say. Hmm. Uh Either defense? way, either way, I think we're going to run the football and we're going to run it successfully. What, and I think I'm going to put my trust, I know it sounds weird, in Scott Leffler that he's going to pick better than me on which plays that, you know, do we run inside, do we run outside? Either way, our offensive line is good. It's shown up, and we're going to be able to do some, some stuff against this defensive line. Just to circle back quickly to 
their offense versus our defense. They've got a dangerous passing game, but their QB doesn't run well. They don't run well in general, and their offense doesn't run block well. So if you can play four down linemen, maybe bracket Jones, uh, concentrate on Williams in the red zone, and watch for the dump-offs, we're going to be okay. Let's keep them under the 350-yard mark, maybe even into like the high 200s. We, I think that's something that we can definitely do, and if we do do it, we'll, we'll win by 10 to 14 points. That pretty much sums up the matchup. I think we have an announcement to make. Do you have something you want to share with the audience, Robbie? Announcements. Uh, we've been thinking about this for a little bit, what we were going to do to start and kind of changing things up on the podcast. We, we love that people are checking in and listening, love our fans. And I think we found our first opportunity to change things up. I think so. We're going to keep it at a high level. We're going to have more details next week. If you check in on the podcast, we're going to be doing a, a live feed. If you want to call it that from, Blacksburg, we are heading to the NC State game, which in my mind, I think NC State's going to be heading in there and barring something catastrophic uh, going in there 5-0. and They should be undefeated. So we're going to be doing it from one of the bars downtown. It's called The Cellar. It has a lot of craft beers, really good craft beers. We've been in touch with management there. More details to come next week. We're going to have the times that we're showing up and we're going to be recording live at the cellar in Blacksburg on Saturday, October 10th, after the NC State game. We'll get back in touch with everybody on here. If you want to stop by and say hello, we'll be in touch uh, next weekend on the podcast to let you know the details. I'm excited about that. That's going to be a lot of fun. I will be really hungover from the game, but and hopefully we'll win, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun to be at the cellar and having a couple brews. You know, you're heading down there with friends. I'm heading down there with friends. Hair of the dog that bit you the next morning and, uh, you know, shooting it up about what happened the night before. Uh, And now I need to ask Robbie what he's drinking. The Shipyard Brewing Co. Brewing Company. We are doing the pirate episode here. So everything's got to be related to uh, the ocean or uh, pirates or other sorts of uh, mechanisms to to make Pete hate you because he does not like the ECU pirates. It's a good beer. It is a straight down the middle IPA. I think those are my thoughts. It's just like your regular IPA. Yeah, it's about 5.8%. Not too hoppy. It doesn't have any malt bite to it. It is... It could almost be a summer IPA. You could just drink it out in the middle of the heat or something like that. I could that. slam like six of them in a row. No problem. It's a good beer. I like Shipyard. I think they're a good brewing Shipyard's company. Shipyard's awesome. So overall, it's been it's been delicious. And one final announcement. Stick around after our picks. We're going to be starting a new segment on the show, and it's going to be called College Storytime. It's basically going to be our drunken, silly stories from college, uh, some of which will be from the campus of Virginia Tech and some of which will be from other places. So stick around after the picks for that. But for right now, let's do these picks. We've got VT as an eight-point favorite over the ECU Pirates. I I said a little earlier, I think ultimately we'll be able to, you know, 
take care of the ECU defense. I think we'll win by 10 to 14 points. I'm taking Tech on the road again. The Road Warriors that are Virginia Tech, who are now 8-3 and three on true road games over the last three seasons. I like Tech. If you checked in last week, you would realize that I'm using a, a knockoff strategy of Ty Hillenbrand from Solid Verbal. I'm going ECU to cover Virginia Tech to win. I don't like it. I don't <laughs> like it at all. But it's it's the strategy. It worked one week. I'm going to go from week two. Hey, if it gets us a win, I like it. Boise State going to Charlottesville to face UVA, the plucky UVA Cavaliers. Boise State's a two-and-a-half-point favorite. I like UVA in this game. I think Boise has not lived up to expectations, and UVA has, as I said in a tweet, been surprisingly adequate this year. And what did I say in response to that? You didn't you, like, you shut your mouth when you're talking about Boise. You can't even so. say UVA is being adequate to a Hokie fan, but they have been, and I actually think that UVA will win this game outright. I can't can't do that. I will go with Boise State. I'll give the points there for no better reason just to go against UVA. They've overachieved, except for the William & Mary game. They have overachieved this season. They can't keep this up. It's impossible. All right, GT at Duke. GT is number 20. They are 9.5-point favorites. I like GT in a big bounce back. GT. What do you think about that Notre one. Dame game? Notre Dame's defense is for real, for real. Uh, they've got a lot of good playmakers along their line and in their linebacking core. Notre Dame handled them, but I like GT against Duke. Duke lost to Northwestern by nine last week. I like GT by a couple touchdowns. I like Justin Thomas. I think that they're going to come back on this game. Notre Dame did handle them. The game was actually a lot more lopsided. Uh, the two touchdowns right in the final minute. Absolutely. But GT's going to – they're going to jump back from this, I think, and Justin Thomas is going to make it happen. Next game, LSU going to the Carrier Dome. A very weird matchup, to be perfectly Can honest. you repeat that? Yeah, LSU, LSU. <laughs> going to the Carrier Dome. No, this is not 1997 <laughs> with Donovan McNabb on Syracuse. Uh, weird matchup, but LSU number eight going to Syracuse. They are 24-point favorites, as you would imagine, after that beatdown they served up Auburn last week and Leonard Fournette just running like a man-possessed. I like Syracuse, but with the backdoor cover. I do not think... Going backdoor? I'm going in, in the backdoor, just like Sneaky Pete likes to do. Uh, I think Syracuse is going <laughs> to come with this one. But uh, what do you think? <laughs> Fortnite is um, amazing. I, I hate to hate on Syracuse. This is a tough game. I can't believe it got scheduled with this massive Herculean Hulk that is a running back. I almost feel bad for Syracuse. I'm going to go with Fournette. He's just an animal. LSU's going to cover those 24 points? I think he could cover 24 by himself without a without without an offensive line. I think he could do it. All right. Well, the next game, NIU at BC. NIU, the same NIU that took Ohio State like right up till the end and the I didn't wire. watch I didn't the watch wire. the game maybe your wife did so maybe, she certainly she was I, there she was oh, there, right. she was there she this past the weekend she went up to Columbus um, in the rain and NIU gave the Buckeyes all they could handle 
BC's four-point favorites. And because of that performance against the Buckeyes, I like NIU in this game. Yeah. I don't think people should be underestimating NIU. They're a good team. We all know they're a good team. They've, they've performed well in the past. BC, they... I said this before the Florida State game. They give people heartburn. They, they, Adazio, I think, is really, really good. I'm going to give the points on this. BC's got a BC. really good defense. They really do. good defense. Total. But they have no offense, and they just lost their starting QB. Absolutely. He's you said you but, also said but, you like NIU against this. But there is a small man named Flutie that is coming in <laughs> that happens to be related to— now, His the, name's actually Flutie? No, it's his uh, cousin, or his, I guess Flutie is his uncle. So Seriously? Uh, yeah, he's coming in as quarterback. So right. Who knew? Yeah. Right. Doug Flutie's counterpart is coming in and playing for BC, so get ready for it. And the next game we have BYU going to Michigan. BYU number 22 suffered a one-point loss to UCLA last week, uh, and Michigan is five-and-a-half-point favorites. I like... Magnum, Magnum at uh, QB for BYU, and I like them to cover that five and a half. I'll take it as well. They almost won last week. Two games before that, they both won. I think he's actually a really good quarterback. I think they're going to take Michigan. Michigan really hasn't proven themselves thus far in the season. They have a really good defense. Their offense is lackluster. I think that BYU is going to take this. Although this slate of games isn't quite as good as last week, there's a handful of good Pac-12 games here. We have UCLA going to Arizona. UCLA is now number nine after that win over BYU, and Arizona's number 16. UCLA is three-and-a-half-point favorites. I like the home Arizona Wildcats. I have them as well. Uh, Josh Rosen showed signs of being a freshman last week. That almost losing to BYU one point. They, they really should have dropped that game. I think BYU could have taken them down. On the other side of things, you got Rich Rodriguez. Please come to Virginia Tech at one day. Please come to Virginia Tech. At any case, uh, I think he is really, really good. And Scooby Wright might be back this week at linebacker. That guy is an animal. And I think that the national media, I agree. Yeah. And Scooby Wright's a beast. The national media has been all over UCLA and how good they've looked and whatever. I'm not buying it. They've got a freshman QB. UCLA has this thing the last few years where they fold at the, you know, the toughest moments. Arizona, if maybe they might not win, but they'll cover the three and a half. Next game, Utah at Oregon. Oregon is a heavy fourteen point favorite, despite the fact that Utah's eighteen and Oregon's thirteen. I like Utah. Utah is a tough team. I still haven't seen what I want to see from Oregon yet in terms of being that the level they were at with Marcus Mariota. Vernon Adams is coming back off the finger injury. He didn't play last week. I don't know. Finger injuries are not that, it's not that, you know, going to be that big of a deal, I don't think. But I would still take, I'm taking Utah. I don't know what to see in Oregon. This reminds me of last week's spread with the BYU-UCLA game being a 17-point spread, and then it was a one-point game. I don't know why the spread is so big, but I like Utah. Anyway, next game, USC at Arizona State. USC is number 19, and they are five-and-a-half-point favorites over the home Arizona State Sun Devils. I like the Sun Devils. I like them at home. USC are is like you called Old Miss fakers last week. 
Hey, Coda, keep it down. Coda, all right, this isn't funny. <laughs> Dogs making a little bit of noise, but no big deal. I'm going to make fun of USC as being fakers every single year since 2004 because they always never live up to the hype. I like Arizona State. Last week, I'm changing this one on the fly. Last week, I pulled the uh, Auburn LSU bounce back. I had no better reason than just a bounce back. This week, I almost went with the USC bounce back. I think ASU is a good team. I think they're going to take this one. I think I'm going with ASU to cover. And the last game I chose for us to pick, it's kind of a funny one, but TCU at Texas Tech. TCU's eight and a half point favorites, and obviously they're the number three team in the country. This might not be like the sexiest game out there. It's the most troublesome game out there because I think TCU could definitely give this one up. Going to Lubbock. Lubbock is a weird place. Strange things happen there. I think I I won. I like Texas Tech against the eight and a half point spread. I'm, I'm taking Texas Tech by far. TCU already replaced all their defense last year. Coming back with a new defense, they have what seven injuries? I think they haven't looked injury. great this year. Either. Seven career or season ending injuries, and I think six of them are on defense. TCU is in big trouble. I like Texas Tech in this game. We'll see how it plays out. Like I said, Lubbock is a weird place, so. That's it for the picks this week, and looks like you're up on a story time. It's story time, baby. So I spent my freshman year in Miles Hall, which is a all-male dorm on the corner of campus on Washington Street. It's basically right at the borderline where the Donaldson Brown is. And naturally, being in an all-male dorm, you're a little bummed out when you first get there. You're hoping there's going to be some girls there, but no big deal. I made a lot of good friends. And my next-door neighbor in the dorms, I'm actually still very close with now. Let's call him, I don't know, Joey. There was this place called The Crack House, a few blocks off campus that held parties every Thursday. If you were at Tech in the mid-2000s, you probably know about this place. Rob, are you familiar with this place? I'm familiar with The Crack House, yes. They called it The Crack House. They didn't actually deal crack, but it was like a pseudo-frat who had these parties in this crappy house i mean every it was room, a crack house it was awful it, it was looked an like awful a crack place house. upstairs the rooms i think were somewhat nice but downstairs it, it might have well been a crack den because it was completely disgusting but they threw parties that for freshmen were easy to get into you could pay three bucks drink the entire night ke- just getting silly off keg beer dancing with some girls maybe you get a little makeout session good for you because you're at tech and it's you know not always easy to find the girls one in 50 (laughs) (laughs) but in any case we had a lot of good nights at the crack house but one of the first weekends i was at tech it might have been the first weekend we had there with like a bunch of guys from the dorms we've all just met and we're drinking and carrying on and we're coming home and joey as he's called was into the this was when jackass and cky were really big when people were like you know jumping in the bushes or going in shopping carts down a hill and all that kind of stuff and we're walking back and he's like hey man you want to see me do something crazy and i'm like okay and we're all watching and he just launches himself off that hill right where that like little school is on the corner of washington street on the corner of campus and into the bushes like i want to say it was like 20 feet down into these bushes and he comes out and we're like, oh, my God, dude, are you all right? And he, like, limps up to the top of the hill. He's like, I'm totally straight, man. Like, no big deal. And, like, clearly we're hammered. 
blood is pouring out of his leg, just completely pouring out. He's limping back. And fortunately, we're right next to Miles Hall. And we're like, dude, we have to take you to the hospital. Like, something's seriously wrong with your leg. We put him in a pickup truck, take him to the hospital in Christiansburg. And the doctor is like literally could fit his whole thumb because one of the branches from the tree that he jumped into like went straight into the back of his thigh. He was on crutches for the first three weeks of campus. And that was the, wasn't the only thing that he did that was stupid that year. Hmm. But just the crack house has a special place in my heart. It makes you do the dumbest things. And me and that, that kid are still friends to this day and bonded over those experiences. Joey, as he's called. Yes, as as his pseudonym is, yes. (laughs) I think that'll do it. I think we've called it. I think Robbie's going to do story time next week. Hopefully he's got something. I'm mustering something. And we're just warming up. If you didn't think that story was good enough, that's because we're just getting our feet wet with this kind of stuff. We don't want to shock and awe you too much on the first one. But we'll be back next week with our pit preview as well as the recap on this ECU game. And make sure to send us any questions you have. It's 2DeepVT at gmail.com or hit us on Twitter at 2DeepVT. And if you're making the trip to NC State, definitely let us know. We're going to be there. We're recording live at the cellar, so we're excited about it. And until then, go Hokies. Go Hokies.